and put some words on the screen here, and I want you to tell me what these words have in common. Amen, alleluia, anathema, maranatha, abba. Anybody know what those words have in common? No? Okay. Well, they're all they're in the Bible. That would be one thing, right? Yeah, so um, they all come to us in our English Bibles untranslated. In other words, they're not translated into English. They appear in every English translation just as that. Now, they're different languages. Amen and Alleluia actually come from the Hebrew, but we keep them as Hebrew as we express them. Anathema is actually a Greek word for kind of a curse. Uh, Maranatha, uh, a word that is used often to speak of Christ coming again, and Abba are both Aramaic. And Aramaic was uh, related to Hebrew, but was the local language of Jesus' day. Even though the New Testament was written in Greek, the people of Jesus' day, and Jesus himself, as a young man, as a boy and a young man, spoke Aramaic. And the word Abba is an Aramaic word. Abba actually only appears three times in the words of Scripture. And two times it's by the Apostle Paul making the same point. It shows in Romans 8 that, Paul, or that, that Sid just read from. And then in Galatians 4, Paul, the Apostle Paul is making a similar point about the Holy Spirit giving us the gift of being a, a daughter, being a son of God. And it's a position, once we've received this adoption that the Holy Spirit has brought about, it's a position from which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Aramaic, um, the, this Aramaic word, Abba, and then the English word, Father, translated from the Greek. The third time that Abba appears in Scripture is in Mark's version, the Gospel writer Mark's version of the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when Jesus cries out, Father, uh, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But not, not my will be done, but your will be done. In Mark 14, 35 and 36, it says it this way. Mark, even though it's as short as the gospel, includes some details that the others miss. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, Jesus said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the word Abba from the very lips of Jesus. Not a 2,000-year-old translation that's come through different languages and eventually comes to us in English, but it's the name Abba coming directly from the lips of Jesus. Abba, the name for father in Aramaic, but it has more of a tenderness to it. It's almost closer to daddy, but it has more of a sense of closeness and intimacy than just a cute child's name for father. Abba. Like Jesus Likely, it's likely that Jesus used it many times. Now, the gospel writers, again, choose to just translate the word father into the Greek, from the Greek word pater or whatever. It's likely that Jesus called Joseph Abba as he was growing up. And we know that he referred to his heavenly father, who was in fact his father, in the Garden of Gethsemane as Abba. Abba, father, papa, daddy. An intimate and tender name for God that actually says a lot about who we are as his children. We sang that in the song. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And the next part is, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. The identity of who God is says something about who we are as people as well. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. And so here, just more than just a sweet and affectionate name we can use to address God the Father Abba speaks volumes about our own security and deepening identity in Christ. We are the beloved of God. So we're going to look at Abba, first of all, as sort of a a metaphor of this relationship with God, but also the reality. 
We'll look at Abba a little bit about what it says about the spirit and truth and this whole business of being adopted as the sons and daughters of God. And then thirdly, look beyond just Abba as just a name to something more about some healing work that God can do in us in terms of our identity and who we are as well. Abba is a metaphor, really, but it's it's also a reality. Our relationship with our earthly daddies is ideally one of closeness and love. None are perfect. None of the dads are perfect. Some are better than others. But the relationship with our Heavenly Father is a very is of a very different realm. Our Heavenly Father is different from our earthly fathers. And so it serves here as a bit of a metaphor. But as Jesus uses Abba, it becomes a reality too. God is our Abba, Father, in a perfect life-impacting way. We still have our earthly fathers, but we build this relationship with our heavenly Abba in and through Christ. So it is both metaphor and reality. I don't know if that makes sense, but we'll chat afterwards because it makes sense to me and maybe I can explain it better if we talk about it. But seriously, this name Abba then, we want to look at it here, is something old and, and something new. Um, the name Abba is an old, old name. And though it's Aramaic, which was of a, of a time 2,000 years ago, it has its roots really way back in ancient Hebrew. It was already an old and a common word when Jesus spoke it. But until Jesus, it was never, ever used by Jewish people to address God. Abba was only for earthly fathers. It was not considered a word to be used for the divine. Jesus was not only the first to use it of God, but Jesus was the first to experience it of God. Got that? Jesus used the name Abba for his heavenly father, but Jesus knew exactly what they meant because he was the son of God. I've mentioned the author Brennan Manning before, a former Catholic priest who shares his very heart of his own struggle of of life with a broken relationship with his own father, came into the priesthood, excelled and, and tried to live as a perfect priest until was taken down by his own inner demons and addictions and alcoholism. And coming into recovery, survived that and came to a place of realizing that the only way he could really live would be to know the tender love of his Abba Father. He's written many books. His best-known book is Ragamuffin Gospel, but I love his book, the title of which is Abba's Child. And in that book, Manning says this, In his human journey, Jesus experienced God in a way that no prophet of Israel had ever dreamed or dared. Jesus was indwelt by the Spirit of the Father and given a name for God that would scandalize both the theology and public opinion of Israel. The name that escaped the mouth of the Nazarene carpenter, Abba. Abba. Something old and something very, very new in the life of Jesus. And then Manning says this, Jesus, the beloved Son, does not hoard this experience for himself. He invites and calls us to share the same intimate and liberating relationship. Jesus experienced this relationship with his Abba Father, but does not keep it to himself, but in his life-giving acts for us, shares it with us too, that we can have the same relationship with an Abba Father. And so we can come before our Abba Father with an unbridled and an unashamed joy. We cry, Abba Father, with great joy. Pastor and author Stuart Briscoe, in his commentary on this passage from Romans, notes that the early church picked up quickly on this. And it became a common word in their worship vocabulary. They knew it was their Lord's affectionate form of address for his father, and they adopted it for themselves. 
And Briscoe says this, to pray Abba is therefore to express unashamedly and joyfully an endearment born of love. We can speak to God with great theological language. We can explain who he is with biblical passages and theological statements. But to worship him with an unashamed and unbridled joy is to come in this term of endearment and lift him up as Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. And the word cry here is an emphatic word expressing a spontaneousness. We cry it out. Like when a little child sees their daddy and goes, Daddy, Daddy. We cry it out. Filled with exuberance and the emotion of a fervent prayer. An unbridled and joy-filled moment. We know that sense as grandparents. We take care of the kids and they're doing great. But when daddy walks through the door, it's better. (laughs) And it should be, as it should be. But this is more than just emotion. This is more than just good feeling. The use of Abba is rooted in a deeper theological and, and relational sense in what the Spirit does as we are made new in Christ as we're adopted into God's family. And that's why I want to speak a little bit here about Abba and the spirit and truth here and and a little bit from our scripture reading. This part of Romans 8 says this again, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. We are adopted by God. Now, every created person is a child of God. God has created all people, and therefore every person on earth is considered a child of God. And God loves every single one of his created children the same. But there is something deeper and richer for those who respond to the love of God in Christ. We're all children of God, but there's something deeper when we come into relationship with God through Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work there and makes us part of this family of God. This deeper, richer sense of a family of God in and through Christ. We are part of the family of God as a child of God. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we are not only forgiven and saved and a promise of going to heaven, we're also part of a new family with God as our Abba Father. We do not make this happen ourselves simply by praying a little prayer to receive Jesus into our hearts. It's a moving of God that we respond to. We enter into this family, and this family is a good and a safe and a secure place to be. Churches are imperfect parts of that family, but we try to live into that. But this family of God is a safe, secure place to be. With our perfect heavenly parent there, there is no fear of punishment. There is no fear of rejection or coercion or having to live up to a newer, higher standard now that we're in, that we might stay. Another metaphor that overlaps that reality is that of adoption. In God's family, we are all adopted kids, according to Scripture. Some of you may have heard me speak over my years here of my dear friend, Jed Hollenbach. I met Jed over 20 years ago when he came right out of Bible school and worked part-time with me as a youth pastor at our church in Tucson. Jed grew into ministry and we became partners in ministry, uh, me mentoring for a while and then us sharing ministry together. Jed was youth pastor to all four of my children, and so he's very special to us as a family. When Jed shares his testimony, and he's still pastoring, he's a pastor of a church in Kansas City now, looking forward to seeing him when we head to Kansas City later this summer. When Jed shares his testimony, when he hears the story of coming to faith, he loves to begin by saying, I've been adopted twice. <laughs> 
Jed always says, I've been adopted twice. Jed's parents, Bruce and Barbara Hollenbach, are brilliant people. They are, were older parents. They had not had, been able to have children. And they adopted Jed and his sister. Bruce and Barbara have been translators with Wycliffe Bible Translators for their entire career. Many Wycliffe Bible translators will move in with a, a group of a people group uh, with a language that has not been written down and therefore has not been translated in the Bible. And many Wycliffe translators will do one whole language in their lifetime, living for several years with a group of people and then living several years to learn the language, then writing it down and then publishing the Bible. Bruce and Barbara Hollenbach have done three New Testaments with three different people groups. They are brilliant people. And Jed would say, very humbly, I can tell I'm not related by blood. (laughs) Jed struggles with learning disabilities, struggled through school, but he is an awesome pastor. So he knows he is not blood-related to Bruce and Barbara, but he is so deeply appreciative of them that he has never had a desire to look for his birth parents because he's very secure in the love of Bruce and Barbara Hollenbach. He is their son, So he says, I've been adopted once. I've been adopted by people who have modeled to me the kind of love that would be expressed in saying, Abba, Father. But as Jed moves on, he talks about being chosen by God too. And the biblical use of adoption from the Roman context is what he means there. That in coming to faith, God has adopted him and drawn him into the heavenly family and been gracious enough to gift him with incredible gifts for ministry and care for his four children, including a set of twins. I said, Jed, just because I mentored you doesn't mean you have to do everything like me, but he did. This adoption process is a long process resulting in a... a I should say the adoption process in the Roman context from which Scripture comes was a long process. It It resulted in a status and privilege for the adopted child that is far from anything inferior. Rather, it is... And it's not a less... There's nothing less than for an adopted child than a biological child. Full rights and privileges. It's permanent. There's a new identity. There's a new life for the adopted one. Everything is made new. The old life is gone. And so you see now why... Why Paul would choose this term adoption to speak of who we are in Jesus Christ. And for us, the Holy Spirit works this adoption. And so we have confidence, we have security, we have a safe place then as Abba's child. So we can cry out, Abba Father. Abba Father, you have drawn me near. You have accepted me. You have loved me. You have included me. You keep me safe. You will never reject me. You have adopted me and made me your own. And when that sinks deep down in and I cry out, Abba, Abba Father. Now, as I said earlier, this does something about, something to our identity too, doesn't it? That's why I want to look at here just for a few minutes of Abba being really more than a, it's more than a name. Understanding afresh the deep and unchanging and and absolutely grace-filled love of God. This grace-filled love of God, the the love that accepts us just as we are. The love that does not call us to measure up. This deep, abundant, unchanging love that calls us to simply bask in His love. That was our vocabulary word last week, if you weren't here. We bask in the love of God. And in that, we have a sense of security that no matter how good or bad our life seems at times, we endure in that life. Because God is our Abba Father and has called us into that. That kind of love from Abba has a lot to do with who we really are. It has a lot to do with our core identity. That's who we are. We are the beloved of God. 
Now, unfortunately, sin and cultural pressures to conform and the fear of being who we really are in front of people, we're afraid to be who we are in front of people. We never feel like we're quite good enough or we feel like we're better than everybody. Usually somebody that feels like they're better than anybody deep in their core feels they're worse than everybody. We know that we are flawed people. And sometimes we can focus on that and we can look at that only and look at the places where we haven't measured up or we're not good enough. And that can wreak havoc on our identity as Abba's child. I've already referred to Brendan Manning's book, Abba's Child, but I, I, I failed to mention the book's subtitle. It's Abba's Child and the subtitle is The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. The cry of the heart for intimate belongings It's what we need to be. That's our identity, not just that he's our Abba, but that we belong and that we're safe and secure in who he is. And Manny says we we cave to those pressures from the world out of fear and we end up living as an imposter. He has a whole chapter titled The Imposter. And so much of the time we live our lives as the imposter. We're not sure sure we like who we really are and so we end up being that people pleaser that will make people like us. However... We end up being the performer, or some of us struggle with a perfectionism, or some of us struggle with an approval-seeking, all the while, deep inside, afraid of being found out. What if people know who I really am? The one who fails and falls short. And so we end up living this life, and sometimes we even be convinced it's the real life. But truly being Abba's child Abba, the intimate, tender, caring, compassionately loving Father, means we do have an enduring enduring identity. We are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. No matter how worthy or unworthy you feel of having that title, you got it. And so our journey, our task in life, then, our discipleship path, if you will, our maturing process is one of reclaiming that identity and learning to live into it, learning to live as the beloved. We can understand this in our head and we can receive it as a sermon or a Bible study and you can shake my head and say, good sermon, Pastor, or terrible sermon, be honest with me. But sometimes we find it hard to live into that identity. identity. Self-loathing and self-hatred is rampant among believers and followers of Christ. We're saved by grace and we rejoice in this free gift of salvation, but then we turn right around by making ourselves live up to some standard wherein we feel more defeated and more failing than we feel empowered, alive, and secure. Why do we do that to ourselves? We are the beloved of God. And Manny asks, is an imposter robbing you of God's love? He says this, we've bought into the lie that we are worthy of God's love only when our lives are going well. If our families are happy or our jobs are meaningful, life is a success. But when life begins to fall through the cracks and embarrassing sins threaten to reveal our less-than-perfect identity, we scramble to keep up a good front to present to the world and to God. We hide until we can rearrange the mask of perfection. Sadly, it is then that we wonder why we lack intimate relationships and passionate faith. All this time, God is calling us to take the mask off and come openly to him. He longs for us to know in the depth of our beings that he loves us and accepts us as we are. When we are our true selves, we can finally claim our identity as God's child, Abba's child, and experience his pure, pure pleasure in who we are. Let go of the imposter lifestyle and freely accept your belovedness as a child of the Heavenly Father. 
In him there's life. You are the beloved of God. I'm going to do something I've never done as a pastor. You know that turn to your neighbor and say this thing? We're going to do it. Turn to your person next to you and say, you are the beloved of God. Now, okay, a few giggles because we don't usually do that here. We're usually just sort of like, let me list this sermon. Don't let me, don't call me to interact. <laughs> do you believe it? Do you believe it? You are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. And there's a lot of healing that can come as we reclaim that identity of who we are as Abba's child. I want to finish with just one final word since it's Father's Day. There is this name, this reality of a father, and I don't want to just single on fathers, but I do want to give a little hope for fathers right now. There, there are no perfect fathers. <laughs> and some of us have had wonderful fathers, and some of you still have active fathers in your life, and some of you, I watch you and go, man, you are amazing. But as we grow older, we get, a, we get a new frame of reference and we realize there's places where we have fallen short and even the father we have made put on a pedestal, we realize, you know, he fell short of places too. We all have what I call a, a father wound. Actually, to bring just a tad of humor, I found this uh, some e-card here. You're the world's greatest dad, although my frame of reference is limited. <laughs> you grow up and he's the only dad you know, you know. And our frame of reference is limited. And as we get older, the frame of reference begins to expand. And we find out that um, perhaps there's a place where our father has fallen short or we have fallen short as well. We try our hardest sometimes. We try to show up to all the events. We try to change the diapers. We try to do all the good things. But sometimes we're, we're not quite sure who we are or that's a beloved. And so we're not quite sure how to give ourselves fully and lovingly in an intimate way, in an appropriately intimate way to our children. And so sometimes we're very much engaged in activity, but we're a little bit passive in our emotional attachment to our kids. I love my dad dearly. He was a wonderful man, never hurt us as children, gave of himself. But I sometimes felt a sense of a lack of connection. And I, I know that he had things that he was dealing with too that he never shared with me. And so I've struggled sometimes myself in terms of a, a passivity and not always knowing how to follow through. I've done my best with my children and, and, and yet I know there's places where there are gaps for them as well. God gave me a really kind of a precious gift a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I was cleaning out some drawers, getting ready for our, our kids to move in. And, I, I, and it was a dresser that had been our son Cooper's probably 20 years ago. And I found a little index card in my handwriting that said, Daddy loves Cooper. <laughs> I had stuck it in his lunch or something at one point along the way. And he, when cleaning out the drawer, had never taken it. It was meaningful to him apparently. But <laughs> it was right in there with some old underwear, I think. But... <laughs> But I know why it stayed there, because it encouraged my heart when I know that there's a, sometimes that place of lack for me, and I, I know for my kids too. Uh, and I've even shared with my kids, you know, talk to me sometime when you're feeling this. I'll, I'll admit it, there's places where we fell short. But I don't want to end this on a downer, because this is where that metaphor does come back to reality. There's not this incredibly high standard of Abba Father that we can never live to, but there is the love and the grace of Jesus Christ that does give us hope as fathers, right? It's never too late to engage. My kids are all in their 30s now. There's still work that we can do to patch some of these things up 
and to be honest with each other and live together. And those of you with little people, there's things you're already doing to build that kind of relationship. And as followers of Christ, we have this assurance. As followers of Christ, we have this identity that we are the beloved. And it's a gift that we can give to our children too. And those of you who are mothers or caregivers or grandparents or whatever kind of relationship, the hope is there as well. I have a bunch of follow-up questions here. I, I'm just going to read them and give them to you as homework. <laughs> Not homework, but um, we create God in our own image, all that stuff, the whole frame of reference thing. But I want to look at the second one that says reflect on your core identity, that one. Is Abba's beloved child a helpful frame of reference? We say, you know, you're a pretty good dad, but I have a limited frame of reference. How about this frame of reference? Being Abba's beloved child. As we close in prayer now and head into our final song, I just want you to reflect on that. Abba's beloved child. Holy God, as we say those words, some of us still struggle in our spirit. And thinking it applies to other people and not to us. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking less of your creation than you think and being so hard on ourselves. I pray for each of my friends today, fathers and non-fathers in this room, Lord, that you would help us to grasp this frame of reference, this identity, not concept, but identity, that we are your beloved children. And do your work of change and transformation and setting us free, Lord God, the people, the people you've called us to be. Thank you that you are a good, good Father. It's who you are. But Lord, who I am is loved by you. We want to live into that today. We ask this, Lord, and we pray it in your name. Amen.